Hello and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. I'm Alex. I'm Julio, and thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Help promote the algorithm and spread the word. You can also find us on SoundCloud to subscribe and review. And don't forget to visit our main website, wearethecontrarians.com. Follow us on Twitter at Contrarian Prime. And to like us on Facebook, visit facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. And if you have the willpower to keep up with our pretentious ramblings, you can follow us individually at Contrarian Alex for myself and at Ovnio for Julio. That's O-V-N-I-O. Now, time for the podcast. Hello and welcome back to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex, joined as always by Julio. Julio, welcome to Battlefield. The site is Earth. Battlefield Travolta. Battlefield Travolta. This battle is taking place all over the summer. We're winding down our last few days of April. This will be uploaded at the beginning of uh, May. And so begins the summer and the summer of Travolta. The hottest one on record. Scorching levels of uh, heat. Uh, before we start, like we discussed off mic. Yes, you. Uh, I like I, a buffoon left a plug off of the Chasing Amy episode. I dropped the ball. We were all like, "Oh, so much stuff has happened since the last time we recorded." <laughs> and the biggest thing that happened to me, I did not mention, uh, which is that uh, I lost my arm. <laughs> That's because I need. I don't need my left arm to record. That's what I wasn't even thinking about it. Uh, no, I I guessed it on uh, one of my favorite podcasts, uh, which I've mentioned before, Beyond the Box Set. Mm-hmm. We did an episode on that thing you do, the extended edition. Did you watch it? I did. What parts <laughs> how, are extended? How else do you think I would be qualified to do an episode on the extended well, I, edition? I meant, did you watch the extended edition, which obviously you did. Right. You, so what? what's different? Um there's a lot more Charlize Theron. Ew. Uh, there's a lot more. Uh, you know, it's like 40 minutes, which we mentioned, I think, when we did our episode. That's It's it's a lot of extra footage. It's substantially longer. But the story remains the same. There's just, a, like I mentioned when I was on their podcast, the scenes just run longer. They start earlier and they end last. So there's no fat trimming, pretty much. Right. They didn't trim the fat. And then the end... It really elaborates on what happens with uh, uh, with Guy and Spartacus. Li- yeah, Spartacus. There is a lot more Spartacus. Like the mentions of Spartacus are peppered all throughout the oh. movie. Uh, actually, one of the weirdest things to watch was a scene at the very beginning where he is making out with Charlie Theron, and they have a whole conversation. And she asks him to do the Spartacus thing, and she's turned on by it. Okay. Character building. That gives a little more context behind that. Right. It, it actually, you watch it and you, at least you get to see them happy and kind of working it through like once. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then uh, at the very end, they, they they spend solid like five to ten minutes establishing that he actually goes and gets an interview with Del Paxton and then he calls uh, Ron Howard's brother. Clint uh, Howard. Clint Howard. He calls him to a radio <laughs> station and tells him, hey, I got this. And, and Howard offers him a job. It, it just kind of like sets up 
tells you that he's gonna be okay mm-hmm. after the movie, even though his band is gone. Whereas the the cut that we watch is just well, he hooks up with Liv Tyler and well, that's it. That and should the be a friendly <laughs> black doorman sends us off with a wink and a nod. Unfortunately, there's no more uh, after that in the extended edition. He he doesn't really give you anything else. The conscience of the film. He doesn't dance or anything. Well, how'd the podcast go? It was great. It was great. It was uh because the way that they do it, their format is you do um. So you talk about the movie, and then you do drinking games, mm-hmm. and which probably the contribution I'm, I'm proudest of is uh, take a shot every time that the movie shits on Giovanni Rubisi, which happens even more Often. during yeah. the, oh, <laughs> during the, the extended edition. And uh, yeah, there's a, a long shot of him just lying on the ground after he breaks his arm <laughs> <laughs> with people like making fun of him. Just do uh, why? <laughs> <laughs> and then. Uh, and then after the drinking games, the guest pitches a sequel, and then they pitch a sequel together. And so, dude, I spent so much time on that, working on that sequel. I really, like I said on the show, I underestimated how long, how much work it was. Because mm-hmm. to me, it was like, oh, you know, whatever. I can come up with a sequel to that thing you do. And that then, thing they did. That is pretty much like, I think I called it that thing we did. Mm. And and it took place in the future. The guy like and Liv day. Tyler have a baby. Oh, they have four grandchildren. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, but uh, but yeah, there's a nine eleven never happened <laughs> because the wonders just yeah the oneaters the oneaters saved the world from terrorism. Uh, but no, it, it it was just it really. I, it wasn't so easy to really come up with it. It was like we were ready. The time to record was coming up, and I wasn't done with it. That's mm-hmm. that's how stressful it was. But then it, it kind of went well, and their sequel was really funny. Uh, mine, I think, because I was just so worried of getting the story right. I didn't really pitch something funny. It was just more like an actual sequel. Mm-hmm. And then they reminded me, oh, no, you kind of have to fuck around here. <laughs> their sequel <laughs> was pretty funny. Uh, but overall, a great experience. I can check that off my bucket list, which is to guest on a podcast that I love. Um and one more time for the uh, record, where can we find them? Uh, beyond the box set, that's just find them on Apple Podcasts. Just do a search, and you'll find it over there. I also posted the link on our Facebook page. Cool. So that's uh, uh, and I usually I retweet their episodes because I just find them really funny. But anyway, now that's off my conscience. Mm-hmm. I I really couldn't enjoy the summer of Travolta with that. <laughs> the just burden weighing on me. Yeah. Uh yes, we're starting off with a bang, figuratively and literally, here with Battlefield Earth, the 2000 sci-fi classic. Um, I can't remember. Was there much rhyme or reason to the flow of these besides just we needed lows and highs? Or I mean, are you asking why are we starting with Battlefield Earth? Yes, doesn't it feel right? I think it does. I think yeah that when you think Travolta and what our mission statement is, I'm not really sure there would have been a better way to start this off. I mean, it was either that or start with a really high movie. But mm-hmm. because we did Chasing Amy, which was a high movie, we yeah. needed to start with a low one. So why not start with the lowest, probably, in his filmography? Is Be Cool around this, or is it not as low as Battlefield? Oh, no, no. Be oh. Cool is 30s, I think. Okay. Maybe 20s. Okay. Well, this, yeah. We'll get there, though. Don't worry. I'm honestly not sure. I think Paul Blart was higher than this. We're 3% is what we're dealing it with It might here. be our lowest yet. And as we'll become... Um, a, a working part, a normal part of every podcast. Uh, for new listeners, we'll just go ahead and explain this first portion here we refer to as Contrarian's Corner, jokingly, hashtag CC. 
This is where we uh, rage against the machine, so to speak, and argue the Rotten Tomatoes the, machine. The Rotten Tomatoes machine. We we take a, a green splotch and turn it into a shiny red tomato, make it all nice and fresh. That's what's going to happen in this instance, as taxing as it may be. Hey, I mean, you never know. I think the part of the fun for some listeners might be that. They never really know how much we like the movie or dislike the movie until we get to the second half of the show. That's true. And in this case, much like I mentioned with the new Venom trailer, Tom Hardy's going for something. Travolta certainly went for something, and I do not regret sitting through it because of that. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so who liked this? Very few people. <laughs> but uh, we're going to start with the green splotches, Alex. Why do I always mess that up? I, I don't know. I think that you just, you just want to get to the positive. I guess so, especially uh, with this one. Yeah, but uh, green splotches starting with Nathan Rabin or Rabin from the AV Club, who said, "Not so much watched as lived through. Battlefield Earth is bad enough to make audiences ashamed to be part of the same species as the people who made it." <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> uncalled for. Uh, Christopher Tukey from the Daily Mail UK says the plot is like a talent- talentless adolescence attempt to rewrite Spartacus as science fiction. Speaking of uh, Spartacus, Spartacus. Uh, Alexander Walker from the London Evening Standard simply says, appalling. We like those quotes. We like those uh, one word quotes. Yes. Uh, Roger Ebert. Especially the ones that help like the shame wash over you. <laughs> oh, I know uh, Ebert. You read Ebert. Cared for- not for this film. <laughs> oh, no. Roger Ebert from the Chicago Sun-Times says, Battlefield Earth is like taking a bus trip with someone who has needed a bath for a long time. It's not merely bad, it's unpleasant in a hostile way. Uh, Roger, just with great power comes great responsibility, and he had a way with words. Yes. And so, come on, cut Travolta some slack. Uh, Mark Bourne from DVDJournal.com says, Watching Battlefield Earth is to a movie-watching experience what having a yeast infection is to having sex. Jesus. Little, pretty brutal. A little too personal, Mark. Uh, Brian McKay from eFilmCritic.com says the sets are laughably cheap and the aliens look like geeks from a Star Trek convention who couldn't afford to buy the good Klingon costumes. And finally... Sick burn. <laughs> Jeffrey... To Star Trek fans, too. Yeah. Just drags them <laughs> through the mud for no reason. Yeah. Uh, Jeffrey Westhoff from Northwest Herald, Crystal Lake, Illinois, closes us off with... with it's as if Travolta wanted to destroy his career again just to see if he could stage another comeback. <laughs> Back at the, well, there was the at the turn of the previous decade, he was uh, box office poison. So I think he was just I think he was flew too close to the sun in this one. Right, one decade on, one decade off. Yeah, just uh, I'll do what I want. <laughs> <laughs> maybe he had because at that time he was hot right so he had maybe like three other movies in the can he was like I, it doesn't matter yeah i can i can play fast and oh lose with the rules here. i got a hot wife i'm gonna go into outer space <laughs> uh but yeah let's let's talk about battlefield earth let's storm the battlefield uh the year is 3000 it was uh one millennium in the future from when it was released and which is really smart i think because so many movies, they become dated during your lifetime, mm-hmm. and Travolta was not fucking around. He no. goes like, 
my grandkids are not going to live to say your movie's dated. He's going to fucking win when this is what the year 3000 is really like. Barry Pepper is going to be running around just wearing a loincloth. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but the first thing we are informed of or educated upon is the fact that man, the human, uh, humans are an endangered species. Uh, species, excuse me. And basically those that are still around that aren't enslaved by the cyclos who are the race they're an alien race that travolta is a part of um they basically live in fucking desolate camps and they're just you know looking out for number one eating rats and shit like that they're they don't possess any technology they're just basically back to the stone age mm-hmm. but they can speak english they can so i I'm glad that the language survived. I, I, a through line through the movie is just uh, human resilience and... The English language. The, <laughs> the English. Well, there's a lot of language plot twists in mm-hmm. this movie, which I appreciate the, the care for, for language in general, but also just the idea that that humanity... As Predominantly is, white humanity. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that if we had seen uh, a sequel to this movie, if if audiences and critics hadn't killed it so quickly, mm-hmm. we would have gotten different battlefields all across the world. Go battlefield ahead. the rest of the earth. Battlefield <laughs> Santa Fe. <laughs> battlefield Atlanta. Battlefield Las Vegas. Yes. I mean, the options are limitless at this point. Um, but I guess he would be our protagonist. He's our main character. I always thought Travolta was the main character. But... I think I think it's a twofer. I think that they share. Uh, Travolta was the only one that had billing, though, unlike the posters and the promotional materials, if I remember correctly. They're trying to keep Barry, Pe- Barry Pepper. Like, their secret hey, he's weapon. like uh, Matt Damon in fucking uh, Interstellar. Oh. <laughs> you know, right. No, you got to hide it. Right. And then when, you know, when Barry Pepper pops up, you're like, holy fuck, it's Matt Damon. <laughs> Um, but Matt, fuck, Barry Pepper, <laughs> Barry Pepper is our main character, our hero in this film, Johnny Goodboy Tyler. Do they ever call him Goodboy in the movie? I don't believe so. I think they refer to him by his full name once, but through the most of it, he's just Johnny. Yeah, it's, that's kind of a shame. Mm-hmm. But he is, I guess, the rebel of the camp that we're focusing on here. He... Uh, he doesn't disrespect his elders, but he just kind of questions authority and, you know, wants more. Yeah, he is. Uh, he's that guy that will keep he's humanity James alive. He's James Dean of 3000. He looks like it, too. Mm-hmm. He has, a, he has a, the long hair and the attitude of, I'll just get on my horse and ride off. I don't care what you say. But he's a rebel with a cause. Yes. And that cause is uh, to find food, right? <laughs> That's what I believe so. Well, I mean, if I was eating rat every day, I would get tired, too, so... They, uh, I think they set him off with that. But I, I, like I was saying, I think it's actually a, a two-hander here because mm-hmm. Travolta has a plot of his own that takes equal time as Johnny's quest for, well, first food and then knowledge and then you know freedom. But Travolta has a lot of should have should have called him Johnny Quest. Oh, <laughs> no, they they can't see him, and I'm doing the Rodney Dangerfield collar tug right now. Uh, uh, there's a, Travolta has Travolta's side of the story, the cyclo side of the story. It just has a lot of uh, corporate intrigue. There's a lot of political going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's he's a, a manager of of this mining company, and there's a lot of backstabbing and and 
I mean, you could easily remove all the Johnny Goodboy stuff from the movie, mm-hmm. and and it would be still a gripping tale yeah. of just Travolta trying to get off this planet and and fool his bosses and all that stuff. It's just, you know, thankfully for us, we get to experience both stories. Yes, Travolta's uh, business stuff and also the the just. Johnny's epic quest. I mean, I, no matter how you would have cut it, Forrest Whitaker still would have been doing the lion's share of the acting in this film. But uh, so uh, you want to talk about secret weapons? <laughs> uh, Johnny doesn't really believe that there's these monsters out there. At least that's the way I interpret it. He he said no one's ever seen these beasts, so I'm going to go out and forage and find some more. Uh, he goes off on his gallant white horse, comes across a field of. It looks like a thousand years ago it was a putt-putt golf course, and somehow the statues there and all of the, the fixins have held up. So we get like this little mini detour. It's like a GTA Easter egg. He detours this once uh, putt-putt golf course. Uh, not for too long, though, because he runs into a tribe of hunters led uh, led by Carlo, who is played by the returning to the Contrarians podcast, Kim Coates. I didn't even know that he was returning. But... We haven't seen in several dozen episodes because Silent Hill was towards the beginning of the run. Oh, yeah. That's when we I were believe like... that was in the teens. Yeah. Yeah. I, and, and even then, I didn't know who he was. I, I'm pretty sure when we were watching Silent Hill, you didn't go like, hey, it's that guy. I think I did because I tried to do the same thing I did here where I do the impression of Waterworld and you go, I haven't seen Waterworld. I have seen it. I just haven't seen it in a long time. He's the peeper. He, <laughs> he's the guy that tries to... Uh, sexually assault the woman and that's then, kevin costner no kevin costner uh i remember kevin costner hitting jane Triplehorn with an oar and knocking her out yeah no she tries to offer herself to him but he turns it down because he's a fish but <laughs> how things have changed a movie just won the oscar where a fish hooks up with a woman and critically acclaimed what two decades will do i tell you <laughs> shit that movie's almost 30 years old well it's like 25 years old here nor there. Uh, this that's that's the name of the what's his name? This guy, Kim Coates. Kim Coates biography. <laughs> <laughs> Here nor there, the Kim Coates tale <laughs> covers black and white with him just looking <laughs> slightly off to the left. Uh, there's really not too much time to exchange pleasantries or you know befriending because this tribe of hunters, as well as Johnny, are captured. Uh, by raiding cyclos, and they take they take them to Denver, where their internment camp is. That's... They built this big old dome over what was once Denver, or just part of it, because the cyclos can't breathe the Earth's atmosphere. Yeah, there's a lot of switching on and off here, which I really enjoyed. Uh, so there's the the breathing uh thing where yes, usually they... required. Yeah, (laughs) you know, but I like how the movie establishes the aliens with little details, like the Mm -hmm. fact that, okay, so when they're out in the open, they need the breathing stuff. When they're inside, the humans need the breathing apparatus, the little breathing masks. Uh, Then when the aliens are by themselves, they're speaking their alien language and we can hear them, we, Mm -hmm. we can understand them. But then when we're on Johnny's point of view, they're just growling and making weird noises. Yeah. And the same applies to when we're seeing Travolta's point of view and he just hears gibberish coming out of Johnny's mouth. It's it it plays with the, the it, culture. It has you asking questions and wondering. Well yeah and it's keeps you on your toes. Because uh, there are movies most movies are really lazy and they would just had 
everybody speaking English, everybody breathing the same air. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what's the point? I mean, if you're going to bring an alien civilization, you need to establish some differences. Uh, yeah. You hear that fucking Roland Emmerich? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, funky accents are not going to cut it. Yeah. Travolta and his team here, they set the bar really high. And it's like everybody already forgot about it. So they're in this giant dome in Denver. Uh, do we get a clear reason why they chose Denver? Other than the people of Denver just think they're so much goddamn better than everybody. So, Well, it, that might have been the reason. Because they, they are informed. They've... A lot of the comedy, and there's a lot of comedy in this in this movie, very understated, but if you're watching and paying attention, it's it's great. And a, a lot of the comedy comes from the misunderstanding, the aliens' uh, misunderstanding of human culture and mm-hmm. human past. And so there's some throwaway line about how dogs were the superior species because I guess when they're observing humans, humans would cart the dogs around. Yeah. And so obviously – the humans were the servants. Mm-hmm. And so I imagine some sort of, what, did they read a comic book about Denver or something? <laughs> or maybe they listened to a Denver radio show and they're like, this is the capital well, of the world. Well, they heard pot was legal there, so it'd be the easiest point of infiltration. Exactly. They just saw all those Facebook posts mm-hmm. and, and that, that just let them in. There we go. That was uh, Zuckerberg. Just <laughs> Once he was done with the Russians, he just started exporting information <laughs> across the universe. And the Cyclos got in touch with that. And Travolta, oh my God. Uh, speak of the devil and he shall appear. We are introduced to John Travolta, um, almost like a, um, it, it feels like a Christopher Nolan type build. Right. Cause we know he's there. We know what he looks like just from the promotional material, but the tension and suspense builds until Terrell, John Travolta enters the screen. And when he does, it's just it's like Heath Ledger as the Joker in The Dark Knight of just like, wow, there he is. Right, because you had seen the you'd seen the pictures, you'd seen the poster, you'd even, I'm sure that he was in the trailer mm-hmm. somewhat. But there's nothing like seeing him in the context of the story. This is the first time, too, that you've seen Comes in nine feet tall, John yep. Travolta. It, it, I mean, you haven't seen an alien up close yet. Whenever they were captured, you just saw kind of like mm-hmm. faraway shots and... But here, you're finally getting your close-up, and you see his dreads, mm-hmm. and he, he has this like the tubes hanging from his face. He's got big claws. The giant boots. Uh, and then you could almost miss him, and I would forgive you because Travolta's just so imposing. But in the background... It's Kerr. Who is? Forrest Whitaker. That's right. And you might not even recognize him at first. Because no. Travolta, he can't... I mean, bless him. He's a great actor and everything, but no matter how much prosthetics you put on him mm-hmm. it's john travolta yeah you, you he's recognizable before is whitaker he's a character actor yes so he really disappears into the role here you, i i wouldn't be surprised if people actually thought there was a, an actual alien behind travolta well he looked like he was about 10 years too early to the oscar winning film uh wolfman uh because he looked like about a halfway conversion point because the hair and makeup they do especially with the big bushy eyebrows and everything and his contacts you know he he looked terrifying he was uh, Really, uh, he had to because obviously when you're standing next to Travolta, you're overshadowed automatically. Mm-hmm. So I think that you got to play for keeps. When right, you're the makeup next to team was like, okay, we we got to help Whitaker as much as we can, mm-hmm. and and so they really go to town on all his prosthetics and the makeup and all that stuff. Quickly, we learn that uh, Terrell John Travolta's character uh, was he set to retire? Was he set to go back to the home planet? What what? I think both, right? He he he's speaking like he's he's about to get out of town, 
literally how to plan it yeah. and, and go back home. And uh, and everybody's talking about like retirement parties and, and all that stuff. So it really – this is what I meant when, when – Travolta has his own shit going on here, mm-hmm. some plot. It's almost like like an extended episode of The Office, uh, back when it was good. <laughs> yeah. You know, and Travolta's uh, uh, Michael Scott, and he's just making jokes and trying to be funny, but at the same time, trying to be an asshole. And then there's also this this you get this whiff that he's a little bit incompetent, but endearing at the same time at his mm-hmm. job. Uh, and of course, Whitaker would be his Dwight. Yes. And later on, Kelly Preston shows up to play a version of Pam, I guess, or maybe Aaron. Uh, so well, if he's Michael, that would be Jan or uh, Holly. That's true. Yeah, yeah. I was I was getting carried away because she, he introduces her as secretary, but then yeah, yeah, the sexual tension. It's just it has to be Jan. Um. So, pl- as plans will go, plans will go awry, and he finds out that he's going to be permanently stuck in the dome in Denver. Uh, to just oversee the operations there because I didn't really catch what went wrong. Something went awry with the political hierarchy there on their home planet. Yeah, I I, I like it because it's a really clever way to make the aliens relatable. If you're going to spend <laughs> so much time of the movie on Travolta and, and his cronies, you need to make him relatable. And, and obviously he already has all those layers of makeup and, and costuming and all that stuff. So how do you help us connect with this guy and you just you just give him a, a kind of a boring desk job and make him fight bureaucracy and suddenly these guys are not aliens anymore they're just one of us they're the just regular joe schmoes yep um so as anyone would john travolta wants to do whatever it takes to get out of denver and he basically devises a plan that will allow him to bribe his way back to his home planet by training the man slaves, um, man animals as they refer to them, uh, to mine gold illegally. Basically, this illegal gold they can mine, and then he can, you know, like I said, bribe his way back to his home planet. The caves and caverns are also, uh, I think they say they're radioactive, so basically just they, they're courier pigeons, and he's just, fuck it, he's got an endless supply of them, so he's going to do what it takes to get back. Yeah, he's the the key knowledge that he has uh, besides of where this gold is is just that he kind of has figured out that humans are maybe smarter than he's giving them credit for mm-hmm. because at one point uh, Barry Pepper steals a gun and shoots one of the two of them two of them actually yeah and uh, and suddenly that proves showing that you know some things never change his. The fact that he's he has a gun suddenly mm-hmm. makes everybody else respect him more. Oh yeah, he's like, oh, this must be an evolved creature if he can handle a gun. Uh, so uh, I'm not gonna tread on him. So, uh, so that gives him the plan. It's like, okay, if he can learn how to use a gun, then he can probably learn how to how to mine. Mm-hmm. Johnny's gun skills, amongst other things, his social skills also playing a huge uh, factor in this. He's uh, handpicked by Terrell to be the leader of the group of men that he sends to mine this gold. Uh, he basically puts him through an intensive, rigorous course of learning everything in the history of human civilization it's or a, galactic civilization. Excuse me. It's learning through a through a Clockwork Orange. Yes, basically, it's like Clockwork Orange meets The Matrix, but ten times better. Yeah, because Barry Pepper is in it. Exactly, his facial expression as he's absorbing all the knowledge, and this knowledge is being shot directly into his eyes. Yeah, yeah, he can't. He's blink. seeing all of the world. Yeah. It's it's pretty amazing because I love that the movie is not afraid to go there. Mm-hmm. There 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 are bigger things that are gonna happen. 
we just can't waste time with him learning things the traditional way. So instead, we're going to introduce a machine that basically does the job as needed. This machine will turn him into a genius. Go. And then five minutes later, he's a genius. And basically, this uh, uh, this is a supplement for a training montage in a sense. Exactly. Where you would have had the boring training montage, now you have something that you've never seen before. And you probably haven't <laughs> Barry seen Barry Pepper everything. in great pain learning about the struggles and strife of humans and the aliens. Yeah, he even learns the alien language. He does. So he becomes the only person that can understand them and, and communicate with them. He... For all intents and purposes, functions as a buffer between the two the two species. Yeah, so this kicks the story into high gear, and like I we said, we go right from first to third, right? And that's that's the thing that more movies need to do. There's at this point, especially if you watch as many movies as we do, mm-hmm. we can recognize the beats and we kind of get bored because we're like, okay, this is where we're gonna spend about ten minutes with him going from point A to point B. Here, Clockwork Orange Machine just shoots us to point D. And it's awesome. He learns a bit too much and becomes a bit too big for his britches, as in his jail cell, he's starting to already organize a human coup of overtaking the Cyclos. And he's speaking in pretty much a different language to Kim Coates and all the other rebels that they have there, because they're obviously not as, they don't have the book learning and, you know, school skills that this kid has. He's uh, really smart, though, because it's clear that he still has access to the machine. He goes through several sessions. Mm-hmm. He could have let the others have a go at it, so mm-hmm. that way he wouldn't be the only genius. But the movie recognizes that humanity, at its core, it's a little selfish. Yeah, and and it allows Johnny to just be selfish and keep that that advantage over not just the cyclists but also the rest of his fellow men. So Johnny tries to organize a hit on uh, Terrell and Kerr, but they make a very rudimentary mistake in leaving their weapons hidden in the room that they're going to assault them in and also keep them loaded. So Travolta, you know, this ain't his first rodeo. He unloads them. Um, and through this, though, Johnny gives a big rah-rah speech about how the humans will overtake the side clothes one day because, you know, he's learning and there's nothing that can stop them. It's, it's Pepper's Oscar clip. It, it definitely is. Um, well, I think the next scene would be his Oscar still, not his scene. But uh, Travolta, in an act of hubris, takes um, Johnny to the Denver library and tells him, you know, he can learn plenty. We also get uh, this awesome bad guy line from Travolta, who has been feeding Johnny rat. He believes this to be a treat to him. Um, He takes him to the Denver library and explains that we overtook this planet in nine minutes. That's the only fight you could put up. So feel free to read whatever you'd like about the human race here. He does say uh, you'll find some nice recipes for ret. <laughs> it's amazing the, the Travolta performance. I don't think we're 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 doing it justice because mm-hmm. he really uh, he committed to the bad guy role. Yeah, it's it's a distillation of basically every bad guy that he's played and he will ever play. Mm-hmm. It's it's I, I could see echoes of of the bad guy from Broken Arrow. I saw echoes definitely of his Castor Troy and Face Off. It's just. Like this ultimate, just unit of evil that can be, you know, in the in key of Travolta. Mm-hmm. This is as good as it gets. And a lot of people, I think, got distracted by the makeup mm-hmm. and by the way that the movie looks, and really didn't appreciate how much work he was putting into it. And the tilt on the camera. Well, yeah, let's talk about that. <laughs> I read the director uh, did that because he wanted the movie to appear like a comic book. 
Mission accomplished. Hey. It's comical. I I I thought, <laughs> I, I honestly thought that it was there was even more to it because it just keeps you off balance. You know, it's just warning you that this is not the Earth. 3,000, Earth at 3,000 is not the same. It's as life Earth on its side. It's not what you're used to. Right. It's just, you don't know what's going to happen. Around here, we do things on a tilt. Travolta takes, uh, I feel bad, I'm disrespecting his character. Turl takes Johnny to, uh, I, I'm not sure if they really explain why, but it's a, a field full of cows. And I believe this is where the mining is to begin. Uh, but he no 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 the uh, the cows is just so he can set an example. Oh, that's right. He's trying to teach him a lesson that if you try to flee or betray me, I can shoot you. Let me demonstrate my shooting once, skills. Once again, we go back to the supremacy that you achieve just by owning a gun and knowing how to shoot it. And Travolta here, he's doing behind his back, sideways. He's doing every shot you can imagine, just shooting these poor cows. This is the one part where I feel that the director, Roger Christian, kind of failed Travolta. Because mm-hmm. Travolta is clearly performing for wider shots. Yeah. And you don't really... I mean, we know that Travolta can do this stuff because we've seen him do it in other movies. And his his eyes are telling the story here, but these are definitely shots that are meant to be a bit further away. Right. It's it's almost like like Christian didn't trust him, so he he just does like close ups, and so Travolta does this like awesome shooting behind the back thing, and you you kind of like you just see his shoulders move. Yeah. I don't know. I, I maybe there's more to that to that day of shooting. <laughs> maybe it's the, possible. The film got overexposed. That that particular shot wasn't green enough or something. That was they, actually in uh, post production that they shot all that. So yeah. Uh, but and uh, again, one thing that Turl is full of is hubris, and he lets his guard down, and he gets a bit too much moxie. And not only is he taken down by Johnny and the miners, but also a local tribe of recluses uh, that are uh, natives. Obviously, their dress and their um, they're, uh, their Dem- speech. Denver natives? Or are we in Kentucky by now? No, we're not in Kentucky yet. So, yeah, I guess we're on the outskirts of Denver or whatever cities would be out that way. Uh, Some potheads that surprised, <laughs> survived. But they're just angry because he killed those cows for no reason. And they don't hunt for sport is what they say. And then Travolta delivers just a pretty brutal analysis of what uh, Johnny's forebears, mm-hmm. <laughs> where, where he just goes like... Well, didn't you know that your ancestors, that, that humans are the only animals that kill for sport? Mm-hmm. And the shame just washes over Barry Pepper's <laughs> face. At this point, Johnny realizes there's much more to learn. So he gives Travolta his gun back and helps him up. He not just, you know, I'm oversimplifying it. He explains to the others that we have much more to learn. And through learning, we can overtake them in the end. Okay, that's his Oscar clip. Yeah, I, I got confused with the other one. No, this is the one where he gets shot from different angles, and he keeps going on and on. And uh, it's the Braveheart freedom speech, pretty yep, much. Yep. And so they agree with him, helps him back up. Uh, but this is where another piece of the puzzle comes into place because his girlfriend from uh, the internment, or excuse me, the native camp, uh, she left to find him as his horse returned back. We thought his horse got shot, but it was just it was set on stun. Yes, so... exactly. So she left the camp trying to find him, and of course she was captured. I would just assume almost instantly by Forrest Whitaker. But she's carrying uh, a drawing of, of Johnny. That's it, right. He's carrying the likeness of Barry Pepper. Have and... you seen this man? <laughs> yes. <laughs> he was going around Denver, <laughs> stopping all the potheads. Excuse me, Forrest Whitaker. <laughs> Have you seen this man? 
Um, I just like that they show that she's resourceful. Mm-hmm. You know, they the movie makes this uh, distinction between the roles of men and women that that there aren't many women. Right, there aren't because, and I believe that this just went over people's heads when they were watching it. Uh, you don't see the women because they're being protected because men know that they're more important than men. So that's why it's such a big deal when his girlfriend just leaves the tribe and goes after him. It's, it's just you're letting one of your most valuable resources. The elder in the village tries to stop her, and he can't, and it's this moment of, I don't know what to do. That's never happened before. Johnny's crime of, you know, taking down Travolta and holding me at gunpoint does not go unpunished, though, because through some real tricky second-grade teacher wording, uh, one of the members of the posse has a bomb strapped around his neck, and Travolta says... Uh, if you promise to never do that again, I won't kill him. He's like, I promise. And so, of course, he hands the detonator to Forrest Whitaker and says, I promise not to do it. And then Whitaker, without batting a fucking eye, just kills this dude in cold blood. And then he's la- he, he delivers his, his evil laugh, mm-hmm. which rivals Travolta's evil laugh. That's a hell of an accomplishment. Yes. These guys were they were playing for keeps, as I mentioned earlier, and they were trying to basically outperform one another. And we won in the end. Their efforts, we bared the fruits of their uh, their labor here. Can you imagine what it must have been like to be on that set, or just just constant inspiration? Right, constant one upping. You just like as an actor, I imagine Barry Pepper was like, man, it was I the can't. apocalypse now of the new millennium. <laughs> now this is the final straw. I mean, they were already planning this revolt. They just were biding their time. Uh, back in the jail cell, they say, you know. Mm-mm. We got to go ahead and do this now. We got to pull the trigger. Uh, obviously, Johnny regretting not doing it there, literally on the spot. But uh, they've got it's time. the The humans are going to rise up. They have a plan, and that's. Uh, I I really like the other thing that this movie does is really, it, it really drills in how important it is to just learn education mm-hmm. because really the reason they they win eventually is because. They're better informed. And they're more knowledgeable than the cyclos, mm-hmm. and it's no coincidence that that the library, this library that he's taken to, plays such a big role. That it's such a, an impressive set and everything. You yeah. know, you you have a shot of him reading the Declaration of Independence. It's mm-hmm. that inspired him, and now so he learns. That was about, his Oscar still. Yeah, of him reading the Declaration <laughs> yeah. of Independence. Uh, so. He he learns about four knocks. He he devises a plan to trick the psych uh, the cyclos. He learns about just the art of war. Mm-hmm. It's this is the kind of stuff that usually most action movies they don't bother showing you how a character evolves from being basically a mindless savage mm-hmm. to just a, a brilliant general. Uh, most of the times they already are, or if it happens, if that evolution happens, you don't really see it happen there's nothing to back it up but here we've been with him pretty much every step of the way we were there with the clockwork orange machine mm-hmm. we were with him at the library it's it's completely believable all the external and internal struggle he's been going through we, we've been experiencing that with him uh, but yeah he devises a plan basically what they're going to do is when the cyclos think they're mining they're going to first off learn how to fly their ships so they can take them to fort knox get them gold from there and then also try to find you know, all the weapons caches there and basically rise up. Uh, in the transitional scene, we get a cameo from John Travolta's uh, real-life wife, Kelly Preston, who plays Chirk, who is essentially a sex slave. The movie has no problem going there. No. 
has she's, a really long tongue. She does. She's awesome CGI. Very great. She's Travolta's new secretary, and immediately Forrest Whitaker is smitten with her and basically has to be forcefully removed from the premises. I wonder how much footage is on the cutting room floor just with that subplot because you, you don't bring Kelly Preston in just for that cameo. No. So I imagine there's a whole just two, three sequences of more political intrigue that just have to do with the sexual tension in the office mm-hmm. now that Travolta has his really hot secretary. So Johnny's trained how to fly the uh, Cyclos uh, ships and basically given his mission, fucking mine this gold for me. I'll be back in two weeks, says Travolta. What he did during that time, anyone's guess, but I love it. Uh, they go to Fort Knox. They uncover this big, huge, hidden uh, vault of gold that they bring back with them. But along the way, they're planning this revolt, and they also come across a shit ton of weapons both uh, assault rifles and nuclear warheads, as well as uh, quite a few fighter jets that they're like, well, what are we going to do with these? They have a fly simulator as well. They call them uh, flying spears. I forget what they refer to them as, but obviously these natives, they don't quite know what they're looking at, but Johnny fortunately finds a a flying simulator that um, one of them refers to as, yeah, this is like riding a horse. This is where, you know, we had mentioned earlier we didn't get our training montage. This is where we get our training montage. Yeah, but it's great. This is uh you see a little bit of it uh, a little bit of it when uh Travolta's training him on uh training Johnny on how to fly their their spaceships. Uh and then you get more of it here, but it's just the the CGI, the special effects, which are just basically point of view of the cockpit, right? Mm-hmm. And you see the buildings and the cliffs and whatever, and it's just I felt like I was watching a movie in 3D now. Yeah. And I wasn't even wearing glasses. I mean, they didn't have like the 3D stuff, the 3D technology that we have now back mm-hmm. then. And just props to the director and the DP and everybody oh, yeah. involved because they make it look like Despicable uh, Me Too. Yeah, basically. It's just like Avatar. <laughs> That's, uh, I think, uh, Cameron needs to, needs to go back to school and needs just to step it up a notch. They address uh, an obvious red herring in that Travolta comes in to check in on him. And they're gold bars, not raw gold. And you would think he's going to notice right away that some shit's up. And Johnny covers it up brilliantly and says, you know, I didn't think someone of your stature would accept raw gold. And so Travolta, you know, I think he's testing, he's dipping his toe in here to see where all the bullshit's coming from. But tells him, you know, well, if that's going to be the case, then you need to double your order by Sunday. Something along those lines. Yeah. He's signing his own death warrant here, though. He's just, he's in his own head and he's his own worst enemy. But I like that we're we're kind of like, Caught up is this big epic fantasy with aliens and, and battles and all the stuff, but it breaks down to just the minutia of business. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like there's a deadline, there's production, you, you, there's like the workforce, there's the management. All that stuff is really what makes the movie tick. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, was it like the year before when Phantom Menace uh, came out and you had uh, a lot of people were just kind of bombed and complaining about how uh, the Trade Federation were like really boring villains because it was all about you know, international public relations and all this stuff. That's business, baby. Right, exactly. I think that Phantom Menace failed because it didn't go far enough with that angle. Whereas, like, here, from beginning to end, the Travolta story really is what what makes the movie work. Yes, that is why the Phantom Menace failed. Terrell and Kerr, there's a lot of infighting going on. Uh, basically, a lot of finger-pointing, whodunit. Uh, one of the things is Terrell recorded Kerr um, basically just reciting their plan 
for what they were going to do so he could use that as an incriminating evidence if they were ever caught. So basically blackmailing him into helping. And Kerr gets drunk one night, uh, assumingly, whatever that green viscous liquid is that they're drinking, but um, gets a bit too full of himself. And does he say he's going to turn? He has the tape, so he's going to turn in Terrell. Right. He He's showing him the tape, but also he says, I have a backup that's going to be sent to the home office if you know if something happens to me. Mm-hmm. And then and then Travolta shows him what's up. He shows him what's up. He shows him Chris Kattan's head. <laughs> That's right, bartender Chris Kattan in this movie. Uh, loose lips sink ships, and Travolta cut his fucking head off and shows it to Forrest Whitaker, and then shoots Whitaker's left hand off. Yeah, clean, no blood. Well, those those the cyclo weapons. Yeah, are just... they're meant for one thing. Unless it's Johnny's horse, in which case. <laughs> Just kind of knock it down for a few minutes. Play to sleep. So we've built to this. It's the showdown at the Dome. The natives and Johnny and their whole team uh, devise their plan and they begin their assault. So my understanding, if I could figure out their plan, is to kind of rattle the cage and then when all the ships come out, they're going to shoot the ships down and then bomb the Dome to open it so the atmosphere is not... Right. Yeah, so that the cyclos can no longer... That, that that's step one though. Yeah. Because step two is uh, to make sure that that uh, planet Cyclo doesn't send reinforcements once they catch wind. That's they're, right. They're just gonna teleport the nuke back to the to the planet. Which shows how much Johnny's learned because there's been no other mention of human teleportation in this movie at all. Right, but it also I mean I'm sure he just studied you know the Great Wars. Uh, of you know civilization so he's just like scorch earth mm-hmm. you you mess with humanity we just blow up your planet there's no i mean we eventually get the shot of the planet exploding and it's just cold-blooded mm-hmm. as the whole it should thing. be i mean yeah. they almost exterminated humanity so mm-hmm. i think the movie right back at you exactly the movie just takes a stance that could be considered controversial <laughs> In, in, it just sticks with it. I mean, it's not. There's no shadow of a doubt that they did the right thing. It's a heroic moment in that movie. And during all of his education, Johnny must have learned some motivational speaking because he's able to successfully talk Kim Coates as well as one of the other members of his entourage into suicide missions. Just you know, you got to do what you got to do. I'll live, but you will do this for the greater good. To be fair, Kim Coates' mission did not originally start as a suicide mission, but um, like the true American, he is. He he took it upon himself. Uh, his mission was to bring the dome down. So he shoots a few ships down, uh, blows a charge on the dome, but it's not enough. It basically cracks the entire thing. It's not enough to make it actually bring it down. So <laughs> he flies his ship directly into it, thinking it'll bring it down, and it just kind of sticks in there. Like if he threw like um, a dart at a piece of wax paper, it's just kind of hanging there. So he he tries to pull uh, a Randy Quaid and Independence Day. Yes, but it doesn't. It the movie fails hilariously. Some, exactly. The movie knows that that's what you're expecting. So it's like, nope, not so easy. Presumably it's because he didn't say, hello, boys, I'm back. He has his own catchphrase, by the way. And that's this movie, right. this Piece movie, of cake. Yeah. It might have failed, but at least it succeeded in bringing piece of cake to just American vernacular. That's right. He learned that during the basically the devising of the uprising plan. And... When he's there in his ship, he sees all the explosives that are wired to it and pulls that fucking rocket launcher. He doesn't have a pistol or something. And he look, he counts himself down. He gets on. He says, "I'm blowing the charge in five. Counts down to himself and then says, "Piece of cake." Shoots it. 
tears he, rolling down my cheeks. He's the hero, or so we think, until that other random guy is transported to the Cyclo's head base or uh, home base and blows up the whole planet with a nuclear warhead. I really like that because really, yeah, this guy, we don't even know what his name is. Mm-hmm. We we don't up to that point you couldn't have told him apart from anybody else. I think that's for a reason. It's just to show you that the like when we reviewed uh, a hero can be anyone exactly when we did uh, it's Zero the end Dark of Dark Knight Rises <laughs> Zero Dark Thirty when we watched it and we talked about it I mean that movie had so many flaws but it caught one thing there was one thing that it did right which was just like it wasn't Kyle Chandler besides that <laughs> uh, it wasn't Chris Pratt or Joel Edgerton who, who ends up shooting exactly Osama. it was just like some nobody yeah that that movie never spotlights and mm-hmm. here it's the same thing like this random guy ends up blowing up Travolta's entire planet mm-hmm. a whole civilization is just eradicated I I really wish that we had gotten the sequel where Johnny Goodboy has to deal with the moral consequences of just all the children and innocent people that were in that planet. Because basically what he did is he just judged an, a complete planet. Imagine if the aliens were judging planet Earth just by, you know, Michael Scott and, yeah. the, you know, that little click uh, in, in the office. It, the sequel would have been like Johnny would have been mid-2000s George W. Bush just sitting there with all of it washing down upon him. What do we do now? <laughs> Uh, but I mean, the parallels between this and Zero Dark Thirty are, are plentiful. And oh, well, yeah, I mean that those last thirty minutes are—they're not just action-packed, but you just—you really don't know what's going to happen. And Zero Dark Thirty, at least you knew they were going to get Osama, but here it's like Travolta could win. Well, and much, much like Zero Dark Thirty, you may question the tactics. You know, do we need to invade? Do we need this military force? Do we need all this weaponry? This answers the question. Yes. Because a thousand years from now, there may be an alien attack, and we need those weapons to save us. You got to invest in them. I mean, how else are they going to last a thousand years? Exactly. These things got to hold up, baby. In all the ruckus, uh, Forrest Whitaker disappears. Terrell, John Travolta, and Johnny get into a um, fisticuffs battle, which it ends with he shoots off his arm. Correct? No, he uh, somehow he places. So earlier in the in the movie. He has a, a brief confrontation with Forrest Whitaker, mm-hmm. where he he trades a di- oh he trades a recording that that Forrest Whitaker was going to use to blackmail Travolta. Okay, he gives him that, in, and in return, Whitaker frees his girlfriend, takes the collar, the explosive collar of yes. his girlfriend, and yes. then during the fight, he puts the collar on Travolta's arm, and Travolta is just so just full of hubris that he doesn't notice and then to punish johnny he thinks he's blowing up his girlfriend's head and instead he blows up his own arm brilliant hoisted by his own petard it's just it's just amazing the way it's all staged in travolta obviously the blast doesn't kill him it just takes his arm off Mm -hmm. but so that allows us to see the travolta facial reaction to oh shit i have no arm anymore and he's taken hostage because of this and he's imprisoned he is encased. Uh, it looks like the fucking where they keep the Ark of the Covenant. That's my final note here. Oh, is, is it? That, that final shot is total Raiders of the Lost Ark. And it could be. We're dealing in the future. I mean, who's to say? That that final, you know, when they, they pull back and you just see that he's surrounded by, by gold and other shit. They boxes. Yeah, they could have kept pulling back. And there's more in this hat is there in the corner. <laughs> Johnny runs him down. Shames him, tells him, you know, we're going to keep you hostage here. Uh, 
because if word ever gets out, because he's assuming there's still other cyclos out there. He can't be sure that mm. he actually, he didn't see what we saw, which was the entire planet blowing up. Yes, which is a shame because it was quite a sight to see. And I mean, he could have seen it from the inside if he had volunteered for that suicide mission. But yeah, you know, you gotta sacrifice the sights if you're gonna if you're gonna make it to a sequel. Travolta has this final card to play as Forrest Whitaker just reappears. <laughs> we don't really know where he was or what he was doing, and Travolta thinks this is his uh, ace up his sleeve, and he says, "Kill him!" And Forrest Whitaker, Kerr, laughs and hands his gun over to Johnny, and. But see, he he does reveal what he what he was doing during the entire battle. He was fixing that gun because he hands it to Johnny. He's like, "I fixed it for you." That's right. So he one handedly. It would take a while with one hand to fix an, a firearm. And he informs Turl that you know they said with you out of the picture now, I'm going to be the leader. So go fuck yourself. So in the end, I've, you know, it took a massive act of mass destruction, but. The remaining uh, aliens, Travolta and uh, and uh, Whitaker, you know, fifty percent of the species now, mm-hmm. Whitaker, ends up working with the humans. Yeah. So peaceful coexistence is still a possibility. Yeah. It just took you know millions and billions of deaths to get there, <laughs> and thousands of years. Well, yeah, that too. But you know, I like that the movie is is realistic that way. Yes. And the movie ends with our uh, pan-out shot of Travolta's prison, and it leaves us with a sense of wondering. And I, to this day, am wondering what could have been, because we never got the conclusion. Yeah, but, you know, I just appreciated that they they knew what they had. Mm -hmm. Because a Marvel movie... These days, they would have killed Travolta off. Yes. Yeah, they just do that. They kill their villains. They go through, they, and then they, they would decide three movies later they need him back, so they just bring him back with one line of dialogue that explains why he's back. Oh, thank God that uh, Anthony Hopkins summoned up that black magic. Yep. So, I it makes it even sadder that we never got that follow up mm-hmm. because they were really clearly planning for it. They they just planted the seeds for a very a very different sequel than this movie was. You mm-hmm. know, it, it and. It just we just never got it because it was just too much for America. They were not ready for for this, and it no really, one was ready for this movie. Yeah, it's a shame, including John Travolta. Well, yeah, obviously he he was not ready for the reception. <laughs> uh, it's a shame because when you look at it, you know, it's just we were watching it here. And I'm like, I'm having a great time. Why is it? Why is it that nobody else had a great time? And I'm thinking, and you know, I I, I played this little experiment in my head. If this super awesome battle scene at the end had the Star Wars music on it, mm-hmm. people would have eaten it up. It's just but it was just too strange for them. You know, there people are used to the familiar and if you go too far out, no matter how great it is, they're just not gonna embrace it right away. Yeah. Year three thousand, this movie's gonna be hailed as a masterpiece. But it'll be hailed as a historical documentary by that point. The real cyclists would be like, wow, <laughs> we've been here before. <laughs> They've nailed it. <laughs> All right, so that is gonna wrap up uh, Contrarian's Corner, and what a corner it was. it was. It was a corner in the year 3000. All right, so we'll take a quick break. Julio, what are we going to be hearing? Uh, usually this is where we would play a clip from the movie or an interview with Travolta where he's talking about how awesome the book is, mm-hmm. but you don't need that. No. You, we already did everything for you. You, you don't need extra. That's, you know, so our transition to real talk is actually going to be a different clip. Uh, I... I talked to Alex about this earlier, uh, and now I'll fill you guys in. There's this uh, really fun movie podcast that I've 
been listening to for a while now. Uh, it's called the Epic Film Guys, and they have a this thing that's coming up on the 18th. They're doing a live stream for 36 hours, and they just want to raise. They're using it as, a, as a pledge drive, basically, to raise money for uh, cancer research. And you can read all about it and and how to support them on their webpage. But uh, they actually sent us a clip that we can play. It's so that's gonna be our transition to real talk. I'm Nick. And I'm Justin. We are the Epic Film Guys, and we'd like just a moment of your time to talk about an extremely important event coming up this May. Last year, we hosted the live stream for The Cure, a 12-hour live stream fundraiser where we raised $2,500 for the Cancer Research Institute. 86 cents out of every dollar raised goes to research toward finding a cure. And this year, we're aiming to smash that goal, and we need your help to do it. Join us from May 18th through the 20th for 30 hours of amazing live stream content from us and a whole host of amazing podcasters who will be joining us to try to reach $5,000. For more information, please visit www.livestreamforthecure.com. Together, we can make a difference. And we are back with Real Talk. Uh, this is where we actually tell you how we feel about the movie. Yes. This is us. The segment name implies what it is. It's real talk about how we really feel. Uh, Battlefield Earth was released on May 12, 2000. Uh, it premiered May 10, 2000 at the Grauman's Chinese Theater. Um, Pull all the stops. Budget of $73 million, Box office return of a little under $30 million. So not too great. Uh, as we mentioned, uh, a an abysmal three percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, one of Roger Ebert's most hated uh, won the Golden Raspberry for worst film of the decade. Um, widely hailed as one of the worst movies ever made. Like I said to Julio, you'll hear it mentioned in the same breath as Geely, Showgirls, Plan Nine from Outer Space, all the classics, the worst movies ever made type of thing. I haven't seen any of those. Not Showgirls even, is great. Not even Showgirls. I own it on Blu-ray. It's so bad. As I told Julio before we recorded, I might have mentioned this when we announced the Summer of Travolta. Successfully had gone two decades without seeing this movie until tonight. What the fuck is this movie? <laughs> More importantly, who the fuck could like this? Uh, you'll see. Uh, who are the 3%? The 3%, a couple of uh, reviews from the 3% didn't have quotes, and I wasn't going to go hunting them down because, luckily, some others had quotes. And most of these quotes are not super enthusiastic. Um, Shocker. Yeah. uh, Look White Thompson from the New Times says, It's been a while since we've seen dumb entertainment this unpretentious. So why worry that it doesn't make a lick of sense? Joe Bio, no, Joe Blow from Joe Blow's Movie Emporium. I like Joe Bio a bit better. <laughs> Joe Blow's Joe Bio. Uh, he says, despite starting off like a bad Star Trek episode, this film eventually graduates to a higher level. So on both sides of the of the fence, they just... Couldn't help themselves from comparing it to Star Trek. Yeah, they had to take cheap shots at Star Trek. Uh, Bob Graham from the San Francisco Chronicle says, is it worth seeing once? Sure. Okay. All right. All right, Bob. And finally, Scott Chitwood from IGN Movies says, Overall, I like the movie. 
I thought it was a good, mindless sci-fi flick with a lot of effects and action. I mean... Mindless? A lot of effects. It didn't say good effects. All right, so just a rapid-fire segment here. I want to go through my favorite bits of uh, trivia and interesting things I found for this. Uh, Forrest Whitaker expressed his regret for participating in the movie. I mean, that shouldn't be a surprise. This one's excellent. John Travolta referred to this film as, like Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, but better. And the Schindler's List <laughs> of laughed. science fiction make or what is it? And the Schindler's List of science fiction films. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Travolta initially offered the project to Quentin Tarantino, who declined it. Politely, I'm po- sure. Politely. Uh, I don't want to make that movie. Uh, <laughs> but you should definitely make it. Tra- Travolta continues to defend it to this day. As I mentioned in the first portion, uh, almost every shot in the film is at a Dutch angle because according to Roger Christian, uh, the director, he wanted the film to look like a comic book. There's other ways you could have done that besides that. Um that is, I can't believe that he still defends it. Travolta? Yeah. And one of the things was he took a pay cut just because he believed in the project so sternly. Well, I understand him believing in the project, but surely now the finished product, there's no way that he watches this movie and thinks, oh, yeah, this is good. Mm-hmm. I mean, Forrest Whitaker, at least his eyes are wide open. <laughs> yes. Um, John Travolta had both a sequel and an animated series planned even before the film was released. Uh, the book by L. Ron Hubbard, obviously, um, Julio has read this, so we can go a bit further into that. But this movie was the first half of the book, you said. Right. And so the sequel was going to be the second half of the book. Yeah, and and from what I remember, it really is it, a little bit of what I was saying in Contrarian's Corner, actually, because the book deals with the reconstruction of human society, mm-hmm. and the cycles never come back. Like in the book, they don't know if the cycles are coming back. So they're always prepared to fight them off if necessary, but mm-hmm. but it never happens. Like here in the movie, obviously, you see the planet blow up. Yeah, <laughs> so done. I, I don't know what would have happened. Well, I guess in the movie they say we don't know if there's other colonies, or yeah. other, so they could still show up. But anyway, they could, they could be in Boulder, Colorado. <laughs> uh, so my, my last three; these were my favorites that I came across. Uh, one, originally the film was going to be made in the early 1980s and was going to be made into two films with John Travolta playing Johnny Goodboy Tyler, and the first film was planned to be released in 1983. However, the project was canceled due to rising costs. So when it came around, I just really hoping he's still politic to be Johnny when he was in his 40s, 50s here, when that came it's around. Like you can fix it. Just one line of dialogue. Yeah, look at the CG we've got. We'll be all right. Um And then the last two here, uh, this was one of my favorites. Responding to the criticism of the film, one of the producers, Ellie uh, Ellie Samaha, apologize if I'm mispronouncing that, uh, complained, the critics were waiting for us to chop our heads off. Everybody hated Scientology for some reason. I didn't know people were so prejudiced. Ebert noted, Roger Ebert in response noted that the film contained no evidence of Scientology or any other system of thought. (laughs) And then this just cracked me up because, fuck, I want to own this so badly. Uh, Trendmasters produced a range of action figures of the main characters, including an 11-inch figure of Travolta as Terrell voicing lines from the film such as, Exterminate all man-animals at will. You wouldn't last one day at the Academy. Man is an endangered species. And Rat Bastard. (laughs) 
there's people that own that somewhere, and I, I want it. It's, it's not going to be cheap, Alex. No, it's not. I, I figure if you Unlike own this it. this movie, it's not going to be cheap. Uh, where do we start with Battlefield Earth? Because really, I mean, it's just... We could start uh, with a line that you said as we were finishing the movie, and that was... I still enjoyed this more than this is 40. Yes. I got more enjoyment out of this. I wouldn't say I, well. I mean, we laughed. That's pretty damning. Arguably, we laughed more during this movie than we did during this is 40. So that the R thing of watching movies together makes it easier a lot of the time. Right. With this, I just would have been baffled. If I watched this is 40 by myself, I'd be angry when it was over. So based on that principle alone. Well, I think it also you get to the end of this movie and you feel like you experience something unique in a way, mm-hmm. right? It's just it just goes so badly off the rails from the very beginning that at the end you're like, I don't need to ever watch this again. But this was somewhat a worthwhile experience. Yeah. But when we got to the end of this is forty, it was more like ah, this is more of the stuff that we don't like about Jada Patel. So. I could have skipped this. I one. wish I had watched, you know, Knocked Up or Forty Old Virgin instead. Again, you can watch Knocked Up three times in the time that it takes you to get through. This is forty one. Yes, exactly. Uh, yeah. I, so maybe in that sense, you know, hey, experience it once. Did this movie ever? Could this movie ever have looked good if you were reading this on paper on a script? If you're fucking uh, Barry Pepper reading this, is it the chance to work with Travolta, or do you think this looked good? Or to see a Scientologist. If you're if you're a Scientologist, are you just automatically all in because okay. they're doing the? I don't know anything about Scientology. I don't either, way. but I can tell you this movie doesn't really come across as very preachy or anything. Well, in the book, doesn't either. It like just, I read it, it it's, it's just, a shitty story that's just translated into a shitty movie. So, so it's a shitty story, right? You've read so, the book, so the book's not much better than this. No, it's, it's, I, the book's just really bland, and like I was it's telling like you, like a thousand pages, eight hundred pages, and today I wouldn't have the time to just. You know, spend on an 800 page novel that doesn't really grab me right mm-hmm. away. And the book was nothing like that. I mean, I was reading it as a curiosity. And yeah, th- I mean, just reading the book, I wouldn't have thought, okay, this needs to be a movie. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's where the Scientology thing comes on. At least uh, on the surface, it would look that way, right? You have Aaron Hubbard writes this, this book. He, He's a Scientologist, Travolta's a Scientologist, and he's very passionate about this. So you would think maybe there's a connection there somewhere. Yeah. You know, even if it has nothing to do with the ideas of Scientology, maybe just, you know. I think the connection is, so this guy that made up this religion, Travolta obviously has an affinity for, and I think he thinks he's a genius, and I'm not going to tell him he's wrong. Right. So he just wants to translate his work of science fiction into a film. He thinks it's going to work. Right. But so I guess that's what, what leaves the question is like, in order to appreciate L. Ron Hubbard, Hubbard's work, at least in this novel, mm-hmm. it, do you have to be? Uh, no, uh, right? I mean, I, I, that's why that thing I read, uh, I loved Ebert's response to it. That uh, oh, they just hated it because it was Scientology. It's like no, it's just a shitty movie. Oh yeah, no, I wasn't talking about the movie. I was talking about the book. Maybe oh. the book resonates more if that's something that. You know, every Scientologist reads or something, you know, and you're like, oh, I have 
I have a connection with the material that yeah, goes I mean, beyond. I I still I would understand. Like saying, well, that's along the same lines of like. I don't, I don't like Prometheus because I'm not a Christian or something like that. Right, but I think that I would understand the passion for the project if it oh, okay. means something. But the movie, I think, it's indefensible. No, I can't. Yes. I yes, can't understand. I I would. I understand if Travolta's maybe just out of loyalty for everybody that put their necks out there and mm-hmm. worked in the movie. You know, he's just. I'm not gonna demean their work by saying that I regret making the movie, but. You can't tell me that he actually thinks it's good. That's that's just that blows my mind. It's it it looks terrible. It in the it looks awful. And um, that Roger Christian, the director. Yeah, I was telling Julio is an Oscar winner for art direction in uh, A New Hope. Um, and but yeah, he didn't direct anything else of note. He did art direction for Star Wars and Alien. That was kind of his start, and obviously his claim to fame. Um. But reading into it a little bit, too, it wasn't, you know, a lot of movies like this that are just cataclysmic disasters, people kind of hide before they come out or they don't celebrate their release or whatever. Um, but he was doing, like, publicity tours and signing copies of L. Ron Hubbard's book. Uh, and, like, I already, the thumbnail I'm going to use for the podcast is him at a book signing with his Travolta hair slicked back. And it's behind him is the big cardboard standee of Battlefield Earth. Uh, for a guy that, you know, all his quirks and... um questionable behavior and train of thought aside you would think he would just know better but that's what i mean he would look at this as a as an actor as someone involved in filmmaking and go this is not good so like do you think that he looks at other terrible movies that he's made and he goes these are good this isn't even adam sandler shit like where um adam sandler looks at a movie is like yeah this is bad but my kids will laugh It'll make money. Yeah, exactly. This nothing worked about this. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess what I'm what I'm wondering is if Travolta is not ashamed of Battlefield Earth, what is he ashamed of? <laughs> is, is he like Michael Fassbender and that he has no shame? <laughs> right. Is there is there a movie that he regrets if if he doesn't regret Battlefield Earth? Because <laughs> what, what does Bill Murray say in Zombie? Uh, any regrets? Garfield, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I wonder if, like, in his deathbed, he'll finally admit it. And he's like, I just couldn't say it. While while the world was still going, I couldn't really... I couldn't do it, homie. But it it just, I don't know. To me, it's just really weird to think that somebody with his career couldn't just tell that it's it's bad after it's been made. I understand the passion before it gets made. Mm -hmm. But after, when it's done, and all this time later, I mean... Well, it's like the die is cast. You know, it's like whatever damage Battlefield Earth was going to do or whatever damage Travolta's comments about Battlefield Earth were going to mm-hmm. do, it's already happened. Yeah. You know, him saying, yeah, that was actually not a great movie. is not going to hurt Barry Pepper's career anymore no. or Roger Christian's or whoever. So Kim Coates. I hate that guy. Well, yeah, it, it's indefensible and... I understand a passion project, all that good stuff. There's plenty of people that have made shitty films and said, hey, this is just a passion project. Even He could even say, because I would think if he's passionate about the story, wouldn't he want that story to be told a better way? Mm-hmm. You know, him just saying, yeah, we didn't get it right this time, but let's let's keep a couple of generations so people forget about it, and then we'll, we'll give it another shot and, and get it right. And this time I'll play the elder <laughs> that doesn't want to let Johnny leave the village. Well, I'll say this. Um... Gladiator, I remember from 2000, and I think a lot of people do, 
But if you asked just Jane and John Q public about movies from this time frame, just, hey, do you remember this movie? This one has stood the test of time more than a lot. So, you know, maybe not the way he intended it to, but he certainly made a memorable movie out of this. Yeah, if you've watched it. That's true. I like myself. It's all based on hearsay of like, right. oh, this is this legendary bad, legendarily bad movie. Um, do you think it's um, more accented and focused upon because Travolta's in it? Um, I want to say now, especially because I'd always thought I always seen it referred to as like this, just ego project and. So maybe it's not so much that Walter was involved, but that he was so out there about how passionate he was about the project. And the fact that later on, maybe he just didn't acknowledge that it was a failure. Mm-hmm. And so people were like, but it is. Yeah. And we'll make sure everybody knows. That's fair. Um, the ego part, he's the bad guy. So, I mean, I at least give him some kind of props for that. Although I would have loved if he did just play the... Johnny Youngblood or whatever the fuck they call him. But I mean, what's it? What's the '80s version of this movie where Travolta is the is is Johnny? I mean, what, that was Troma would have made it, and it would have looked like the Toxic Avenger, and it would have been incredible. Yeah, maybe cult classic playing at midnight at the <laughs> Battlefield the, Earth Nazis must die or some shit like that. The, the where was he career wise in the '80s? I mean, was that was was that already like him slumming it? Was, was he like onto the second '83? We would have been pretty close to staying alive territory, so it would have been, yeah, not good. Yeah, when you were reading that the movie almost got made and then it didn't happen, I thought that you were going to say that the reason was that his star started falling, mm-hmm. and they were like, well, we can't make this movie if Travolta is not box office uh, gold. What was the one we did recently where we were reading that he was, it was like the early 90s where he was referred to as box office poison? Uh, Big. Yes, 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 that's it. (laughs) When we read the murderer's row of other actors considered, most notably Robert De Niro. (laughs) Uh, I I think that while the summer of Travolta is in session, we really need to devote just a few minutes to really just to the Travolta factor. I mean, here, obviously, it's it's big because he's He's the centerpiece. Right. But even so, let's say that forget about his... His role as a producer and the creative force, the engine behind this project. Just if this was a movie that you just watched and you didn't know that Robert that uh, that John Travolta was anything but the the just actor playing the bad guy. Yeah, it's like how does he fare, right? Poorly, right? Yeah, it's, it's not. It's it's really his villain doesn't. I think my main problem with his performance, and it's it's almost exclusively his, is that he doesn't come across as an alien. No. He's just John Travolta in a fucking costume. Exactly. Even Whitaker and uh, and Kelly Preston, who are the other known and Chris actors. Chris Kattan. Chris Kattan. Is it Chris Kattan? It's not Chris oh, Kattan. Okay. <laughs> but everybody else kind of feels like they're at least trying to be a little alieny. But mm-hmm. Travolta is just Travolta. Mm-hmm. It just puts some shit on him. But he still he sounds like Travolta. He sounds like, <laughs> like when he plays a bad guy in in a movie where he's not an alien. That's that's a performance here. So. Hey, that's that guy from the Taking of Pelham One Two Three. I know him anywhere. Yeah, I I don't think that this is even a good showcase for him as an actor. And you would think that, right? He gets to play the bad guy. That means that's the fun role because the Barry Pepper he gets screwed. Mm-hmm. He his character is you know he doesn't have anything to do no. with that that would make him memorable. He. He gets really boring speeches, and he gets just like really bland action sequences. It's 
But Travolta, you'd think he would have just gone all out being an alien, and instead it's just John Travolta in a bad costume. Yeah. It's baffling is a good word. I mean, obviously CGI was not anywhere near where we are now, but still, fucking hell. Like, T2 came out almost 10 years before that, and the CGI was vastly superior. See, that's where I... I, That's another thing, right? How do you let some of those shots just be on the final cut? It's the uh, X-Men Origins Wolverine principle of just, like, you should be embarrassed. (laughs) Right, you you should... You can tell that these are talented people, so they know that it's not working. Mm Mm-hmm. Cut it out, right? Why would you put it out there except that you believe that the movie's so good that people are not going to care? I mean, going back to our, our our thing of, like, if the movie has you, you don't care. Mm-hmm. You don't care about the shitty CGI. You don't care. That shot where uh, he drops the, the human off a cliff <laughs> and he they use the same shot twice as he's falling. Uh, <laughs> uh. <laughs> <laughs> How do you let that happen in a major Hollywood production? Man, all of those uh, visual blips aside, it's it's just not good. It's too erratic for you to get invested in any part or any character. It skips all over the place, jumps all over the place. Even right, like the was, shots, there's not a shot long enough for you to get invested in anything. If it was right, if it was shot beautifully, if this was you know Blade Runner level of, of photography. And and if the performances were great, if Travolta was really out there having fun the way that we wanted him to, and Barry Pepper was, I like him, but he's not charismatic at all in this movie, no. right? He can't carry it. But if you got somebody, you got Michael Fassbender to play Johnny Goodboy, mm. you know, you get somebody that's just like that magnetic. Even if you got all that, the story is pretty weak sauce. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's Very. just it's just bland and it's full of just convenient plot developments. It really the the Clockwork Orange Machine is just ridiculous. Oh, so dumb. It, it, it just it would work great if it was a comedy where you have this device that automatically makes somebody just the most knowledgeable person in the galaxy. But but this is a somewhat serious. Even movie. in the Matrix, like they it's specific things you learn. Right. Yeah, it's not just like everything ever. Yeah, and then it's like, oh, we need to go here, so we'll just be there. Mm-hmm. You know, we need to go to Fort Knox, so we're in Fort Knox. We need to go like, you know, oh, we need to fly the planes. Yeah, the planes fly. Mm-hmm. It's just, I don't know, it, it's just shoddy storytelling. And I couldn't tell you how much of it is from the book. I mean, I know the bare bones structure is from the book. Now the details, I mean, I know they have the learning machine in the book, but I don't know what mm-hmm. else. But the whole point of an adaptation is like, you make it work in the movie. So if it's dumb in the book, just don't make it in yeah. the movie. Uh, so I don't know it it really it's one of those things where it's not just one element of the movie that's the problem and that's bringing everything down it's like every single thing I mean can you think of something that works Forrest Whitaker maybe uh, I mean it, as far as his character's motives yeah you know it's it's and uh, okay here's something that works that I mentioned or at least that works a little bit uh, that I mentioned in Trans Corner I do like the the really mundane office politics <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. that's. I wish that maybe the movie could have, if it was more comedic and it really had focused on the fact that these aliens are our conquerors, but also they have the same problems that we had when we were running the pro- the planet. Yeah, that would have been cool. And you get very very tiny glimpses of that during the movie and the interactions between Travolta and his boss and yeah. Travolta and Whitaker. Um, and then the insanely needless and. Um... A bit over the top Kelly Preston cameo. 
that was weird. You, I mean, right? This was like how many years ago? Twenty years ago, almost. Mm-hmm. So, uh, gender politics were not what they are now. Yes, <laughs> uh, it's still really kind of dumb and insulting that you have maybe two female characters in the movie, right? You have mm-hmm. Kelly Preston with her super long tongue. Yes, uh, she has one scene, and then you have Johnny's girlfriend, who her biggest moment in the movie is when she lights up after he says that he's thinking of their kids. That is downright insulting. <laughs> and she like flees the camp and immediately gets herself captured and right. in trouble. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there's uh, you know that final battle. It's just the dudes mm-hmm. taking care of business, and she shows up for like a minute and then goes away. Yeah, it's really bad. I mean, Kim Coates, piece of cake. That was that was fun in a really bad '80s action movie kind of way. But man, yeah, it's um, it's a real noodle scratcher. I, I've only listened to a few episodes of How Did This Get Made, but I assume they had done an episode on Battlefield. Right? I don't know if they have actually. Really? Uh, it would be really funny if they did. Well, but... it's it's unfair because obviously we know how it got made john travolta was just like we're making this movie god damn it it's happening yeah. whether you like it or not i think that is um dude a documentary about the making of battlefield earth that would be amazing yeah even just okay just have forrest whitaker write a, a tell-all book mm-hmm. and i just i just want to know what happened It'd be like uh, the disaster artist in a sense yeah You'd have to get Travolta. Well, I don't think Travolta would commit to it because he still maintains that it's not a bad movie. He's he's part of the three percent. <laughs> All those quotes I read—they're John Travolta and they're different aliases. What I loved was we watched this on Netflix because this fucking movie's on Netflix, and it was an HD version of it, which means someone took the time to go back and restore this film. No, like somebody got paid to ah, go back and right. restore it. <laughs> Jesus. That poor person that was working on it. I mean, I hope they got paid well. Just because... holding the film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I could just burn this and no one would ever know. They had that, that moral quandary of like, and, and really, dude, how awesome would it have been? It never would have happened. But if the sequel had been about Johnny Goodboy just being crushed by guilt <laughs> about what he did. Uh, and I want to say now I, I, that maybe that's part of the book, too. I know that, you know, because there's no more alien dealings mm-hmm. from what I remember. So they have to give him something to do. And I think maybe him feeling bad about killing uh, an entire planet. I mean, that's yeah. fucking crazy. And it just happens in like 10 seconds of the movie. And then we move on. And yeah, again, one thing I was like, what the fuck was Johnny <laughs> like just gave all those suicide missions to people? Like, you'll do this. I'll be fine. I was like, guys, I have to stay because I'm the one that speaks Cyclo. So, <laughs> That's right. I need to learn more. I'm a valued asset. What a what a kickstart to the summer of Travolta. It it really, I mean, you puts things think, in perspective. Yeah, I mean, it's like it's just. It's and just it's, forward. I was about to say motion. That's what's here. perfect about it is it can't get worse than this, uh, or can it? I mean, like you said, we we still had fun. Not is, the way the movie intended us yeah. to have fun, but we still had fun watching it. This is our lowest rated movie, right? I, I can't remember us doing something lower than 3%. Because we haven't I'm, done like a 0% or anything. I don't think so. I think like we did a 7% or a 6% maybe. Christmas with the Cranks is like 10%. Yeah, it might have been. <laughs> time is a circle. It all comes back to Christmas with the Cranks. I mean, must I pose the question, Alex, what's worse, oh, Christmas God. with the Cranks or Battlefield Earth? Hmm. Not which one made you angrier, but objectively, which one is the worst movie? 
the sweat on Alex's forehead. <laughs> oh, Neptune. Fuck, that's really difficult. Uh, mm. I, mean, I, I think Christmas with the Cranks. I was trying to, to come up with something positive that we might have said about Christmas with the Cranks, but I don't, I don't think we had anything. No. And that was literally a movie that you said if I hadn't been here, you would have just walked out. You wouldn't have finished. It. I, yeah, I would have turned it off. This, not the same thing. And like I said, Forrest Whitaker's character's motives make sense in this movie. Yeah, he, he gets like a nice little... Which is more than market. I can say for anything that happens in Christmas with the Cranks. Yep. Both God. based on the book, by the way. Yes. But this movie doesn't have Tim Allen. The quandaries <laughs> of life. Uh, so for part D of uh, Summer of Travolta, we'll be moving along to Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction. My God, you want to talk about fucking night and day. Whiplash. <laughs> this is uh, Pulp Fiction is one of my favorite movies of all time. So it'll be interesting trying to nitpick and find things. I, I've. Uh, well, I mean, we'll get into it when we actually talk about Pulp Fiction real talk next episode. But yeah, I. I love it, and I think it's still my favorite Tarantino. Mm-hmm. But I, as the years have gone by, and I've read criticism of it, and people that are not crazy about it, or you know why they would tell you what's not his best or whatever, I I can see it through different lenses, mm-hmm. um, which is exactly what we'll be doing, Contrarian's Corner. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it it should make for a fun time. And. Uh, good ordering of the two because Travolta rode a wave of goodwill for six years after Pulp Fiction that he destroyed once again with Battlefield Earth. It's like that that critic said. It's almost like he wanted to see if he could <laughs> just test the waters. <laughs> Am I really the Phoenix? Can I be reborn? Is this our first Tarantino? Yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. That'll be a fun discussion because yeah, I think Pulp Fiction's still my favorite, but I've really gathered a, or gained rather. Uh, an admiration for Jackie Brown over the years. Inglorious Bastards is really good, but I wouldn't put it at the top of the list or anything like that. But that's a conversation we'll have on the next episode. Um, any closing thoughts on Battlefield Earth? Why? Travolta's finest hour. Good God. Uh, it was certainly an hour. <laughs> Two. It was... No, I just, you know, baffled. I really... I, I would love to know what was going on on that set. I mean, I just... You you have to assume that people, as it was happening, they thought it was a, it was going to come out great. And then just... Yeah. The heartbreak of seeing that movie that's just... That misfires on every level. It's just a disaster through and through. Yeah. And then, yeah, I guess... It, they obviously had some faith in it, or uh, Travolta still does, so God bless him. Well, there were some quotes that I didn't read uh, from critics that were just kind of wondering why it even got released. You know, what studio head said, that's all right. It'll make at least 30 million. <laughs> even then, that wasn't even half of the fucking budget. Yeah. But I think that also, if you're talking just about like Travolta's clout at the time, you know, he'd be like, it's my passion project. It gets released. Maybe. That's true. I don't know. That is the kind of stuff that I'm just like, I'll eat up if, if I can find, like, I, I don't want speculation. I want, like, the facts. Yeah. I really want somebody to tell me. I'll listen to, like, 10 hours of a podcast that does a deep dive into the pre-production, production, post-production yeah. of uh, Battlefield Earth. Get to it, whoever. <laughs> I don't even remember who the film studio was that released this, but get to work, Internet. Let's start a fucking GoFundMe to get a documentary made about this movie. 
It'll be like uh, we watch. Forrest Whitaker. I do not want to talk about that movie. <laughs> well, it'll be like the Glow documentary we watched, where like the guy, uh, you know, he was not he was not part of it. Oh no! I thought you, I thought you meant like it was going to be uplifting, and then one of the characters was in the like hospice. <laughs> Barry Pepper is just like <laughs> doing commercials for a car wash or something. <laughs> I, I really I know Barry Pepper's career and survived. Sees this. Kim Coates on the reunion of the set. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Barry Pepper was in uh, Spike Lee's Twenty Fifth Hour, which is a movie I really like, and he was good in it. So I know that there was life after Battlefield Earth. Uh, but I do wonder. Kim Coates was in Silent Hill after Battlefield Earth. <laughs> it's like I survived Battlefield Earth. I can just be on anything, and I'll, I'll uh, still have a. No, he actually had a really successful run on Sons of Anarchy and was in Goon. He was, despite your feelings on Goon, he was really good in that movie. He was the coach of the team. I'll take your word for it. It's a great movie. Eh. I've heard the sequel is not very good, but I really like the original. All right, moving along here. Uh, moving on to plugs. Julio, what you got for us this week? Uh, you don't have plugs? Do you? I saw you like looking through your phone trying to figure out. I was trying to find, what... yeah. Um, no, my plug for this week is the Andre the Giant documentary that HBO recently had uh, released. I saw the the promos for it. I yes, was... it was um, really well made, a bit clunky. Uh, I was shocked at some of the footage they had. Like I had never seen it before, and I usually pride myself on seeing a lot of uh, wrestling. And but basically, the quality of the film they had from the '60s and '70s was outstanding. Um, it's a rough story, man. He. Oh, yeah, I figure it would be a bummer. And Hulk Hogan was, you want to talk about someone I just wanted to reach through the screen and slap his bullshit was at an all-time high on this. But um, getting to see Vince McMahon pretty candid, but then also like actual uh, true celebrities like Rob Reiner, Billy Crystal, Robin Wright, um, the main guy from Princess Bride, I can never remember his name. Oh, uh, Carrie Elves? Yes. Uh, but no, it was just really well made, really um, emotional, told a, a fair story of him. And I think he gets a bad rap a lot, or I know he gets a bad rap a lot. People thought he was some like literal ogre or unhappy man. Uh, I think the picture they paint is true. It's, imagine living a life where you literally can't do anything without people staring at you, or especially when you're a celebrity. They were saying about that about Conor McGregor recently because he snapped and at a recent episode, like when you're that level of famous, you can't pump your own gas. You can't go to the movies, anything like that. And especially in Andre's case, cause he's recognizable. Conor McGregor can throw on a ball cap and yeah. a, a sweatshirt and not stick out. But yeah, it's, um, I thought it was really well made, well presented. I know it's on demand and I'm sure they'll be uploading it to YouTube before too long, but if you get a chance, check it out. You don't have to be a wrestling fan to appreciate it. It's just interesting tale about a big kid from the French Alps, but a bummer. I, I before uh, before I sit down to watch it, I need to know because it's like you gave me the warnings when we were picking wrestling documentaries. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, a yeah, few episodes ago, you were like, yeah. "Most of these." Glow are, is about the happiest ending a wrestling documentary has, and uh, and this Andrew the Giant piece doesn't change that. Um, I mean, he died. I know that, but, but you know, I don't know if it's just like, I'm, am I going to end up like just crushed by the whole thing or no. just kind of. It celebrates his life, but it also 
it does not shy away from the fact that like Vince McMahon and the WWE exploited him like in his later years and stuff. But it's it it it's more of a celebration of his life than anything else. So yeah, definitely recommend. And um, that is my plug. Uh, all right, I'm I'm glad that you had a plug. I was worried that I was gonna have to do all the heavy lifting here. Uh, before I get to my plug, I I actually talk about just like. I, I was all over the place last episode because I was like, oh, I have like tan girl feedback. And then I completely forgot about the actual piece of feedback that I had, which was our friend Corey. Uh, he actually sent me a couple of messages. Uh, Excellent. And he said, I love Ice-T as a kangaroo man. I love having a musical number in place of a boss battle. I love her cooking hot dogs during the middle of their chase scene. And I love the bizarre filler animation. Definitely the worst movie I've watched 200 times. <laughs> so he doesn't disagree that it's a bad movie, but it's just like like an addict that is just like, I just love the way cocaine makes me feel. That sounds like something uh, like a diatribe I would go on about Empire Records. So I, <laughs> I can appreciate that and relate to it. Uh, and then he said, you might also mention that the movie is the ultimate feminist subversive comedy. The point of almost every scene is to subvert the typical male-driven narrative, hence the musical number instead of a fight. Which, yeah, I can see that. I mean, we were... We were all about the feminism angle mm-hmm. in the movie, yeah, and Contrarian's Corner mostly. But yeah, I mean that's. I was mostly about the Malcolm McDowell angle. With that too, is uh, you need some McDowell to, yeah, to make it bearable. Both Malcolm and Andy. <laughs> yes. Uh, now, as as far as plugs, uh, like I've said a few episodes uh, ago, like I've been listening to a lot of podcasts. So now mm-hmm. the podcast I'm gonna plug today, I'm gonna plug two. Because fuck it, we have time. Uh, <laughs> uh, one is called uh, the Movie Pass Podcast or the Movie Pass Pod, mm-hmm. and uh, it's a uh, it's a father and a son. They're not professional critics. They're not pretentious assholes like we are. <laughs> I, I they're just like they're like the people, mm-hmm. right? So which it's it's part of what makes it uh, enjoyable to listen because I just feel like oh I'm listening to like real people, you know just. Talk to me about movies. I'm getting like actual feedback of you know what I mean. Uh, it's not people that are trying to to be critics. It's yeah. just like the guys that tell you, yeah, I didn't just, like that movie. Yeah, and uh, so that's great. You know, it's a, it's a dad and son, and they've they've made this goal to watch a hundred movies in 2018, mainly with the help of Movie Pass. You, you know what Movie Pass is? Yeah. How much is it a month? Uh, well. Apparently it's about to change, or they're saying that it's about to change. But right now, or at least last time I checked, it's nine ninety nine a month, and you can watch a movie a day. So okay. if you, you were so inclined, movies. exactly. Okay. Uh, and then you would like bankrupt them. <laughs> I really I don't know what they're, <laughs> they're banking on people not doing <laughs> exactly. That. Yeah, but but yeah, I mean it's like it's a great deal if you go to the movies a lot and if everything works the way it's supposed to work. Uh, I, I think that, I mean, it's no secret. It's not like I'm just like saying something that nobody knows, but it's they have customer service issues. You know, they have, it's like if your car doesn't work, it's like you might not get the problem fixed before your movie starts, that kind of stuff. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, I think that they probably were not expecting to grow because that was not the price originally. Mm-hmm. And then they lowered the price to 99 a month and they just, they're subscribing. Yeah, exactly. And then suddenly it's like, oh, well, we need to hire more people to handle this. And I think they're still in the process of adjusting. Uh, but then I heard, like, apparently it, from this podcast and, like, looking online that they're changing their pricing. Mm-hmm. And it looked like it was going to go down to, like, maybe four movies a month, which is still 
a pretty good deal. That's cheaper than face value. Yeah, I mean, it's like a movie, a movie a week. You're still most people. That's what they do. Yeah. Even I mean, most people do like a movie a month. Uh, so anyway, with the help of Movie Pass and every episode, they're like, we're not sponsored by Movie Pass, <laughs> but uh, they're they're aiming for a hundred movies. Uh, that are 2018 releases, and so the dad's like, you know, some dude that's I want to say he said he was in his 50s. The son is like a teenager because I know they've said in one episode that he wasn't old enough to drink. Mm-hmm. And uh, so on top of the appeal of it being just like, oh, these are the people speaking, you also get the generational gap where you know there are movies that the dad's like totally into, and the son's like, ah, I mean, that really worked for me, right? <laughs> you know, and vice versa. So I really, it's a very enjoyable uh, listen. And where they really won me over was that in they did an episode on Paddington, and I don't know if it's still the case, but at the time, Paddington, Paddington 2 was at 100% run Tomatoes. Mm-hmm. And they had this conversation where they basically, they come to the the... The realization of, oh, the run tomatoes thing is kind of flawed. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, that's what we've been saying for almost 60 episodes now. Because <laughs> they're like, it's 100%, but it's not a better movie than, let's say, Forrest Gump, which is at 76%. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and, and the son is like, yeah, I mean, I mean, that's not a problem with the movie. There's a problem with like the perception of run tomatoes and how. And the dad's like, yeah, but they're using it. They're using that percentage in like commercials and DVD yeah. cases. I'm like, yep. But it doesn't mean what people think it's, it means. Nope. Uh, so anyway, that's, that's I was like, yes, I am talking about this on the podcast. You guys earned it. <laughs> uh, the other podcast I want to mention is called Film Roast. Uh, okay. Again, you can just like look it up. It's it's a movie review uh, podcast. But the thing is, it's two female hosts, which I was I've been trying lots of podcasts and uh, pretty much like. I would say 99% of the podcasts I listen to are just like male driven. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll have female guests every now and then. I mean, ours, like, we'll get a female, we got a female guest for like a little stretch, but you know, so it was, it was refreshing to find one that was, uh, you know, female host and that it was like fun to listen to. Cause I mean, I'll just percentage wise, you know, you have more male podcasts, uh, just like when we're looking at, at movies directed by females. Mm-hmm. So, the the sample size is le- is smaller, which means that you know you have less good ones because you just have less of everything. Yeah, you know. Uh, so, but I love this one. Like the chemistry between the the two hosts is it's great. They're really funny, and uh, and again they provide just a point of view that I don't really get anywhere else. So uh, they're they're a lot of fun, and they have like. I mean, you can just look at their at their website and kind of like get the hang of it. But they they do like movie reviews on some episodes. Some episodes they just pick a category and they just list movies that have to do with that category and talk about them. Uh, so they have like they don't have like a, a solid structure for every episode. They have like different mm-hmm. rotations that they do. It's it's a lot of fun. And so I've been catching up on back episodes of that one and the Movie Pass Pod and the other stuff that I've been listening to and. Uh, it's a good thing that I can't watch movies at the gym anymore. Uh, Why is that? I just can't like the – well, one, because I'm doing more like machine stuff. So mm-hmm. I, there's nowhere to put my phone to watch. Gotcha. <laughs> and uh, at least the, the cardio machines that I'm using right now, I can't even hold my phone there. Oh. So just like I put the headphones on wireless and I'm just being like plowing like a, through hours. Humble brag. Wireless. Well, no. It's more like a – 
Because, you know, when you're saying something like that, you know that people are picturing you. And okay. it's like if you're doing like the thing like where you're listening to stuff but but you don't have wireless headphones, it's just – A disaster. Exactly. It's a battlefield earth. It's like the anxiety of like when is he going to trip <laughs> or when is he going to like, you know, get tangled on the cables and the phone is going to fall or something. So, uh, so yeah, I've been listening to hours and hours of podcasts. Excellent. And getting in great shape at the same time. <laughs> that That's the humble brag. Yeah. I, I could take note from that. Uh, but yeah, anyway, both great listens. I would just encourage everybody that likes our show to check those out because I think they're pretty funny and they're kind of like along the same vein and yet different enough that you'll just enrich your listening experience. Excellent. Uh, as always, thank you to the Festive Years for providing our opening and closing tracks, uh, Summer of 99 and Last Stand. Uh, from their album, Don't Let Me Use You. And thank you to Hans Roth Gieser, who did our logo. And you can listen to his podcast, Nacion Combi, uh, if you speak Spanish. You can also listen to it if you speak English only, but you're not going to... Uh, yeah, I mean, full immersion. That's how you learn Spanish. <laughs> All right, so we're off to the races with the summer of Travolta. or with this fucker for three more months. So uh, let's hope... Uh, it, well, like we said, it can't get any worse than this. So No, it's it's just uh And, and he and will test us. <laughs> He will test us. Uh, But that's going to do it for this episode of The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong, and we will catch you next time with Pulp Fiction. Hey guys, do you have a screenplay you need feedback on? Well, you are in luck. I, Julio, the half of the contrarians that speaks with an accent, I'm doing official screenplay coverage now. And if you're a listener of the show, you'll get a discount. Just email wearethecontrarians at gmail.com and tell us which is your favorite episode of the podcast and why. Turnaround is about two weeks and you'll get detailed notes that are even more thorough than what we do in the show. Although it'll also be less funny. For more information, email wearethecontrarians at gmail.com or visit our website, wearethecontrarians.com, and click on the Julio Reads Your Scripts link. Your voice is beautiful.